0: A-B-L-E-S. Ebels. Remember that name, because if you suffer from chronic joint and muscle pain like me, then Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil is your answer to your prayers. The Ebels story began with the search for something natural to help manage chronic migraines, but Ebels helps more than just migraines. From managing chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and more, EBLS is truly a game changer in the natural alternatives to big pharma drugs. And yours truly, Brian Nichols, here on The Brian Nichols Show, can indeed vouch for the quality of Ebels, having a herniated disc in my back, Whew. coupled with years of sports injuries, I was struggling to find something, anything, to help manage my pain. That is, until ebels With the best quality product and customer service in the industry, ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil and Ebles Freeze Gel easily stand above all the competition. And right now, Ebles is offering a special discount to all members of the Brian Nickel Show audience on all orders. All you have to do is head to ebels.com and use promo code TB. NS, the Brian Nichols Show, right? TBNS at checkout. That's it. Disc on applied. Again, the code is TBNS at checkout to start managing your pain today with the highest quality CBD on the market. One more time, that is code TBNS at checkout. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who is getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and oh, our cool. typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Good morning, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Happy Monday. Yes, we are approaching as we are less than now four days away from Thanksgiving. Some sense of normalcy, I hope, for you and your family as you approach this holiday season. All I ask is please be smart, be safe, be healthy, but also have some fun. It's uh, it's important because the time is the number one non-renewable resource, and with that being said, we got to make sure we appreciate every time that we have with family and friends, just like I appreciate every uh, time I have with you guys here at The Brian Nichols Show, and today is no different as today I'm joined by Michael Heiss, he is the uh, founder and chair of the Libertarian Mises Caucus and Mises PAC, so joining the show today, Michael outlines his case, why the Mises Caucus not only is an absolutely integral part of the Libertarian Party, but a necessary part for libertarian success going forward. So, without further ado, i on to the show, Michael Heiss here on The Brian Nichols Show.
1: Thanks, man. Happy to be here. Appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Happy to have you here, Michael. It's been a long time coming. Now, you are, is it your official domain, the, the chair, the, the 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 grand poobah of the Mises Caucus?
1: Yeah, chair and founder, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and so let's kind of dig into that, right? I, I, I for one, I have wanted to have you on the show because I need to learn more about the Mises Caucus. I know... The, the Mises Institute, I, I, you know, do all the, the research digging into that and, and, you know, listening to the great Tom Woods and and Bob Murphy and, and you, Jeff Dyson and so forth, being able to to learn in that regards. But I think there's been maybe uh, misconceptions of who the actual Mises Caucus is. So I want to give you a chance, kind of like, who are you guys and what what is it that you believe is this group of libertarians?
1: Well, we're certainly all very inspired uh, by the people at the Mises Institute. And I would in, I would say in, in a lot of ways we emulate them. And, and what I mean specifically is, you know, you see a lot of variance in thought in certain ways over there. You know, you, you, you'll you see Walter Block argue with, say, Hoppe about borders. And, and you know, it's not there's no overarching position there. And and there's debate, but everybody's still friendly and on the level, you know, and it's that same kind of thing here. We we agree on what we think are the most important things, and that's Austrian economics is decentralization, the centrality of property rights to libertarianism philosophically, uh, you know, right to free association, all of that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we take a hard stance against identity politics as well. And obviously, we're very, very strongly anti-war. That's obvious. So and the Fed and the wars, you know, the spirit of the Ron Paul revolution. Um, But we take we take a strong stance uh, against uh, identity politics as well, because we we generally think it's kind of the scourge of our time that is that is driving collectivism. But at the same time, right next to that in our platform, you know, we make it clear that we are accepting of all lifestyles. You know, it's 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 basically you can be an SJW or whatever you can you can be whatever. Ever, but you have to put decentralization property and Austrian economics and anti-war at the, the top of your value hierarchy. And if you can't do that, then maybe we're not the, the, the best caucus for you.
0: So what would you say now, obviously, everything happens because there's usually a vacuum, a need there, right? And and you guys came to prominence, what, right around the like 2016 or so ballpark, right? Actually, about the end
1: of 2017, we we are we started at the end of 2017.
0: So, what was the the I guess the the, pre- the precipice to you guys saying, okay, we need to have a different voice in the Libertarian Party?
1: Yeah. So, so what happened for me is I've I mean I've been involved in the movement for over 10 years now, like a long, a pretty long time. I mean, I, I started before a little bit before the Ron Paul Revolution. I actually came up through Alec, Alex Jones and Infowars. You know, I started with 911 Truth. I would say when I was like 14 years old, Now, not, not that that's libertarianism in and of itself, but you know, it, it really helped me to, uh, see the, the nature of the state. And, and by the time I did encounter Ron Paul and I did encounter libertarian philosophy, it wasn't a very big jump to, to go from, well, the, the, the government is obviously evil and willing to do some pretty insane things to, Oh, well, it all makes sense philosophically and logically too. <laughs> like, so, um, I, I took to that pretty easily. And, uh, Yeah, came up through the Ron Paul revolution, loved every second of that. Um, And in the aftermath of the Ron Paul revolution, a lot of really cool things happened, you know, like Ben Swan came up out of that, Uh, uh, Adam Kokesh came out of that, the anti-media, the Free Thought Project, Cop Block, all these different things kind of emerged out of the, the Ron Paul revolution. And it was really cool for a while. But I think the downside was that without having like Ron Paul kind of brought us all together. Um, and and that was great, and we all got behind him, and no one really questioned the utility of that. Um, but then, once all these things started emerging, it was cool. But then, that energy never coalesced into one overarching strategy or, or or anything like that. So I feel like the energy started to die down. You didn't start. You didn't really see results. People started fighting. Oh, well, we should do this. We should do that. And you know, I I ended up supporting Rand Paul in in 2016, hoping that he could kind of recapture the magic. And then, of course, that didn't happen. He fizzled out like harder than than pretty much yeah,
0: all of like us. February of the primaries, right? It was it was so quick.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was really just left wondering, well, what the hell, you know? And and at this point, I had you know I had done podcasting, I had done man on the street stuff, I had done interviews, I had done writing, I had done cop blocking. Like I've done a lot of things, and and I was kind of done doing the shotgun approach, like doing a whole bunch of things. I decided I wanted to to pick a project and stick with it long term. So, essentially what I, you know, I supported Gary Johnson, hated Bill Weld, but I supported Gary Johnson in 16 and uh basically once that was over, I really started comparing the experience of the Gary Johnson campaign with the Ron Paul revolution and there is a distinction there, you know. <laughs> like there absolutely is a distinction. And the experience within the Gary Johnson campaign was just miserable. It was awful. You know, like like the the libertarians at the time, you know, were were too busy fighting each other over dumb stuff you know like uh, like we were too busy fighting off the Bernie Bros fighting off the Trump people a whole bunch of people went insane that's like, that, like that's when Molyneux went insane that's when Alex Jones changed uh, that's when Chase Rachels went nuts like a whole bunch of people went nuts and and it sucked you know and 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 nobody came together and and it just didn't have the energy you know and and that the that the Ron Paul Revolution had. And so I started comparing those two things. And and basically what I the conclusion I came to is that we somehow some way have to recreate that revolution. And it's going to be really hard to get the ball rolling. But unlike that, because it was centered around a campaign, one man, Ron Paul. Right. And and, but the thing is, is that, that we could ever recreate that in an organizational sense or an institutional sense, as opposed to a singular campaign. It never has to end. You know what I mean? There's no, there is no point where, well, Ron Paul's cheated in front of everybody and it's over. You know what I mean? It's, it's we get the ball rolling and then it's the, its own inertia takes off. So that's that's what we are essentially trying to do through the
0: LP. Gotcha. Okay, so that's a lot to unpack, there, right? So it makes me, <laughs> it, it, it's great because that usually it's my job to make everybody else have to unpack a lot of stuff, right there. So, um, looking at you guys, I, I look at you almost like you're you're almost like the young Americans for Liberty of the GOP, it, if that makes any sense. It's like. Of the LP, yeah. Of the LP, yeah, but like, uh, yeah, exactly. In like Young Americans Liberty playing that role of trying to, I guess, focus more on the the getting liberty into action, which actually kind of goes to make, you know, human action. I take human action, uh, famously of Rothbard. How about that? Like, I mean, I know Rothbard or Mises. No, who is it? Mises. It was Mises. Ah, you know, yeah, we're all in the same ballpark there. Um, But (laughs) looking at like, that's the mentality of actually making liberty win. That's actually the, the slogan for Young Americans for Liberty, right? Is actually getting the stuff... Into policy, and you guys had a lot of success this election cycle. So, can you maybe dig into some of the wins we had for LP um, Mises Caucus endorsed candidates?
1: Absolutely, but let me let me take one step back, real quick. Absolutely, y'all, young Americans for Young Americans for Liberty was actually a big inspiration in conceptualizing the organization um, because because um, they have a focus. They they they, they have a, a focus, and they stick to that focus, and and it's producing results for them. And their focus is. You know, we're not going to shoot for president. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna shoot for state house races and getting liberty legislators uh, uh, elected at the state house races. And we're gonna raise money and we're gonna pay people to door knock for very specific liberty oriented legislators and build up a bench to then hopefully maybe launch them in some of them into higher office. Um, and I, I that obviously works. Like they're doing very well with it. Um, and I kind of took a say a, a similar model with the with what the LP should do because. Obviously, the, the the presidential run thing it has a it has a purpose. I don't want to I don't want to say there's no purpose um, to the, to a LP presidential race. There absolutely is a purpose, but that is not the goal in and of itself. The goal needs to be bottom up, and and where libertarians can and do win is local office. Then it also just so happens that the great enemy is the federal government more than anything. And it also just so happens that not only is that the place where we can and do win, but it's the place where we have the most power to fight back via nullification uh, against the feds. So if you have this kind of – so like if you have a combined effort where the LP – so we uh, through the LP kind of focus on the local stuff and then in combination with Young Americans for Liberty focusing on the state level stuff, well, again, if you combine those efforts, you now have liberty building up from the community through the culture and, and, and you start to permeate. And, and again, if the Fed is the great enemy, why would you want to focus your efforts where the chopping block is? You know what I mean? So, so the idea is that the combined effort can lead to large scale nullification and eventually, perhaps even secession.
0: Decentralization. I was going to say elephant in the room, though. There's pushback. For, I, I don't. I guess I, I personally haven't gotten invested in the drama, but I know there's pushback from you guys, and it seems like there's a mentality that it's like I, I, I'm obviously going to butcher the straw man, but like it's GOP-ish folks trying to take over the LP. And I guess you know, I'm hearing you. It's more so that you're saying, like, listen, no, we're trying to get liberty into policy more so than taking over the LP. It's it's what are we going to do to actually, I guess, get liberty into action? Is is that fair well, to say? It's it's a little of both. It's a little of both. People
1: take exception with the, the, the term "take over the LP." Like, we don't want to have a hostile takeover. We want to outcompete. We want to we want to be better. Um, but we do think that we. So essentially, what it boils down to is. The libert- so th- there's kind of a thought, especially amongst presidential election season, there's a thought that the base of the Libertarian Party is LP Libertarians, and that's not true, um, and, and it's, it's short-sighted. The base is Libertarians generally, and I would argue that the vast amount of Libertarians exist outside of the Libertarian Party, and they're either apolitical or, if they are politically active, in the GOP. And and we have to examine that and we have to maybe ask them why that is the case. And it just so happens that if you ask libertarians why they're not in the libertarian party, that they're, they're happy to tell you why. And it's usually like the same reasons. And to boil it down, it's essentially that the movement resembles Ron Paul a lot more than it does Gary Johnson or or even Joe Jorgensen. Um, and so if we understand we understand incentives. We, and and so we have to listen to that base and then be willing to make look inward, admit where we're wrong, and, and make the requisite changes to then be attractive to that base instead of doing something like, oh, well, we have the word libertarian in our name, so you're obligated to be here. And if you don't like it, that's your problem. You know what I mean? Like, I, I apply that same principle to a business sense where it's like, you know, you're running a business and you have a target demographic for your product, and then... You know, you they, they turn around and instead of loving your product, they say it's it's lacking in areas X Y Z, and then instead of saying okay, I better change X Y Z, saying well, no, I'm right, they're wrong. Uh, you'd be out of business like that, and most libertarians are out of the party like that, and <laughs> so so and and there seems and that's where the pushback comes in because we do want to see changes, we do want to see the messaging you know, less involved in identity politics and more on and the Fed and the wars, the things that make libertarians unique, that brought us together in the first place, that are inspiring and motivating, and then kind of using that messaging to bring people in and then organize them around a strategy that is viable, which is the local stuff and the issue coalition stuff.
0: So how about for the folks that are more, I'd say on the left, the political leaning left, how do how would we say do we reach out to those folks? I'm a sales guy by by trade, right? And like part of my job is trying to find ways to instill value by solving problems, right? So I look at some of the, the folks in the left and I would say, I think we have a lot of solutions to the problems that they are addressing, but how do we maybe help them frame the ideas and I guess the problems and to be, I guess, more empathetic towards a libertarian solution?
1: Well, I, I think there's a distinction that needs to be made between recruiting and coalitioning, and it's a it's a crucial uh, uh, distinction because – so to give you an example, I would coalition with a communist. I would not recruit a communist, and, and that is a really important distinction. So I think how we do it is because we have such small numbers, relatively speaking, um, it's incumbent upon us to be the catalyst. We have to be the ones – so – I I guess to answer your question is, what are the areas of what are the issues of overlap between libertarians and the left? So and we all know what they are. Generally speaking, it's it's the drug war. It's criminal justice reform. uh, Less and less, unfortunately, but the wars um, and that kind of stuff. So we have to be willing to go to Democrat meetings and say, all right, I see your weed legalization. I raise you a psychedelic decriminalization. We have to be the ones. And it's, it's Scott Horton talks about this. You have to hit the left from the left and hit the right from the right. And, and, you you know, I, I did this where I live here in Norristown. I essentially went to my city council meetings, um, which is all Democrat. it's like 75 percent plus voting uh, Democrat voting demographic here. Everybody on the board is Democrat, uh, Democrat, and basically said, hey, uh, the, the, the Democrat Party of Pennsylvania has weed legalization in its platform. It shouldn't take some random libertarian dude to come here and give you legislation and, and say, let's decriminalize weed and put that pressure on the state to legalize it wide scale. So here's the legislation, how progressive are you really? You know, and, 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 well, it wasn't too long before it was decriminalized. Now I have some accomplishments and now, and like, I have that in my resume and I have that credibility so that when I come with the psychedelic thing, that's probably going to get pushed back on. I at least have that, you know, like, and, and have that basis from which to work with.
0: So how do you, so if we're looking to like actually get Liberty policy right into action, I think Part of the problem with a lot of folks in the Liberty, the Greater Liberty Movement, I think, has been this idea that we have to compromise the way we talk about principles with actually compromising principles, right? So if, for example, we're, to your point, trying to talk to the left from the left and then the right from the right you don't have to betray your principles it's just you have to bring your principles to meet them where they're at to help again solve that that problem they're they're trying to solve in their mind but you have to also i think address the main the main issue that's really bugging them so i guess you know Part of me being in sales and, and uh, you know, you obviously, I know you're in a, a sales-like role as well. You you get to talk to people all day long and you get to really figure out what's on their mind. So I guess I'd ask you, what what do you think right now has been the number one thing that's been on people's minds? And where have we been lacking in meeting them in addressing that need?
1: Oh, man. Well, we as a party, you mean? A, um, a party and a I, say the Yeah. Well, the, the, I, I'll speak from the, the perspective of the party because I think the movement's been good on this, but I think the party has not. Um, shutdowns, the, uh, the lockdowns. Um, I, I think it's completely unprecedented what we've seen, um, and and the, the party has been, it has gone in a in a culturally left direction, um, and and it's kind of a, a, a adopted that, like it's adopted the SJW thing, and because of that, there has been a lot of uh, messaging out of the party that, that, that really goes to bat for BLM. And I can understand why that is the case, but I think it's kind of misreading the room and, and, um, kind of looking at it, frankly, at a, at a surface level, you know, I, I'm, I'm really big, I'm a really big advocate of, of, uh, by their fruits, you shall know them, you know, and, and we kind of understand this concept when it comes to the, that the Patriot Act, right? Like the Patriot Act you can't say you're not patriotic right or, or if you go against or if you went against the patriarchs you know they would beat you over the head you're unpatriotic and it's on its face you can't deny it on the face of black lives matter how they i mean of course black lives matter how could you how could anybody possibly deny that without being an evil monster but look at what they do you know what i mean like they're engaged in the riots and then look at what they don't do you know if if they like i truly believe that black lives matter doesn't believe its own tagline because if they did. They raised like a billion dollars. Where's the door knocking efforts for mandatory minimums? Where's the door knocking efforts for drug decriminalization? Where's the door knocking efforts for for getting rid of uh, the minimum wage? You know, where was the support for Rand Paul's justice uh, for Breonna Taylor uh, bill? Where was the support for for uh, Justin Amash's bill to end no knock rates? Or uh, I'm sorry, qualified immunity. Um, like, where was this? So. They have an undeniable tagline that that makes it very easy to socially support it because you can't go against the tagline and and another example i use that's a corollary is is um uh the cops you know the cops right on the car it says to protect and serve and it's like well of course that's what the cops are about it's right on their cars but then you know they kill like 1100 people a year and they lock up like a million four for nonviolent drug offenses and all this crazy stuff but it's like their actions are kind of at odds with the tagline like and 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 we and Again, being a sales guy, you understand that there is a difference. There is sometimes a difference between the front-facing, let's say, PR and the behind-the-scenes activity, and that's what I think is going on here. And and I think we have fallen into that trap of, of biting on the, the tagline. If it was up to me, I would say pretty much what I'm saying right now. I would I would just follow Walter Williams and Thomas Sal, and and basically just say, you know. They haven't been good on the issues. We as libertarians are way better than BLM on the issues that affect the inner city. You know, and if I'm wrong, why is people like Maj Touré and, and and Eric July saying the same thing as me? They're from the inner city. What are you gonna deny them? You know, what are you gonna call them Uncle Tom's or something? You know, like like what what are you gonna do? And and so I, I think that has been a big we we basically went down that path when we should have went hardcore down the shutdown path. And we basically gave that issue to the GOP in doing so.
0: Well, as I said, The shutdowns, I think, by by no stretch of the imagination, have easily been the number one thing across the board. You know, on top of and this is the thing that, that's really astonishing on top of everything that's happened in 2020. I mean, 2020 has been just a year from hell. And yet, I think it's easy to state, yes, the lockdowns have been the absolute number one thing that have not only been devastating, but they are going to have such long-term, lasting negative consequences. I had Jeffrey Tucker on the show talking about his new book, Liberty or Lockdown. And I mean, oh my gosh, like talking about the, the the suicide rates that are increasing, the drug uses that are increasing, I mean, the opioid epidemic up where I'm from in northern New York, it's, it's you know, destroying communities. And, and you add on, you know, people not going to cancer screenings, not going for preventative care we're going to see this, you know, start to really rear its ugly head, not just from the health standpoint, but then, oh my goodness, dig into the economic standpoint. I mean, families who are losing their entire life savings because now they're trying to just make, you know, make the bills be able to, to you know, not not be in the red. And it's like, well, maybe government going top down to, to say who is and is not essential isn't necessarily a good idea of how to run an economy. And it's it's
1: even worse than top down because it's the governors and the mayors, which I think, again, goes right into my point of we've got to stop focusing on the national stuff or at least put the national stuff in its proper proper perspective as a messaging apparatus and a recruiting apparatus. I think we need to focus on how many people do we got a lot more than how many votes do we have? What the hell is the return on investment of a vote? It's not much. Not when you have absolutely no chance of winning. You know, and and but the but the return on investment of an activist, somebody who will knock doors, somebody who will introduce legislation, somebody who will run for office at a, at a winnable level like that is a lot more. And that's what we need. You know, so I, I like I, I and and this is where we get the pushback because we push back against identity politics. We push back against the idea within the party that the role of a presidential race is getting votes. I think it's really stupid that that, that we look at it that way. Like I think it's a it's a huge strategic error. Ron Paul had no expectations of winning, and then the funny thing about it is, through not having any expectations of winning and just focusing on I'm just going to go out there and tell the truth, he kind of had a shot at winning. You know what I mean? It's 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 and what it is is faith. That's that's what I look at it. Do we have faith in what we what we believe and just say the truth of it, or are we going to try and be politicians about it for votes? And and I think people can see through the bullshit. You know a really good example of this. Um, nobody, nobody else seemed to think that this was the big deal that I thought it was. But, but um, when when Justin Amash was running for president for like that two or three weeks, he went on Bill Maher, uh, the, the Bill Maher show, and uh, you know Bill Maher. I, I forget the exact wording, but Bill Maher basically asked him like, "Oh, so like you think you could win?" And and Amash answered. Oh, uh, yo! Know, of course I think I can win. I, you know, I wouldn't be running if I didn't think I can win. You know, I think people really do want something that's reasonable and nice. And, and, you know, this, this, and, and Bill Maher just kind of went, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you guys come around every four years, you always have a story and it always sounds the same. And I thought that was so important because that's, I think that's how most people see it. People know we're not going to win and we lie to them when we say that we're going to win. We have to put the role of these things in its proper place in order for it to function properly.
0: So then they're going to say to us, well, why would I even vote for you? Or well, I guess, why would I give you ballot access if you're not going to run to win? What would we say to those folks?
1: Well, we already don't get ballot access. We got ballot access like one time from Gary Johnson. And here we are four years later scrambling for it again. You know, so I think you, have, you stand just as much, if not a better chance of getting ballot access when you have an army of volunteers that are filled with belief. You know, like, and, and it's these abstract things. Like I'm talking about faith and belief and all that kind of thing. You can't really like measure that, but it is what's actually important, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so the, the, I, I I'm, so to answer, but to more directly answer your question, why would somebody vote for us? Because we're telling the truth, you know what I mean? Like that's why, because basically just go out there and say, look, I know I can't win, how the frig could I win? We're not even allowed to be in the polls to be polled to get into the debates, let alone into the debates. It's a rigged game, it's all it's all screwed. So that's not. I, I understand. Like, I'm going to run as hard as I can. That's what people. Me, I think actually mean when they say I'm running to win. I'm going to run as hard as I can. You should do that. But just be honest and say I'm I'm running to, to to rock the way you look at the world. I'm I'm running to rock your paradigms. I'm like and 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 be an inspirational messenger through the truth. And truth resonates with people.
0: I actually saw some friends in the wild sharing Spike Cohen's campaign videos, and I was like, "Yes, Ooh. Spike
1: was." Spike was the star of the ticket, yeah.
0: I, well, absolutely. To see that in the wild, though, caught me off guard because it wasn't, you know, I, I say in the wild, it's it's my normie, liber- non-libertarian right. friends. Right. And I'm like I'm like, oh, that wasn't shared by somebody I know on, on my libertarian circles. And then I'm like, I wonder what it was in that video. And I watched the video. I'm like, oh, maybe that's the part of the video that spoke to them. And and again, you I think you touched on one thing that is hard and it's tough for folks even like me because I'm a sales guy. I, I want KPIs. Right. I want objective things I can measure. But there are certain things that you can't measure. Um, and actually, I, I was just reading a book. I think it was, um, was it the, the Seven Habits of like su- Something Super Successful People? I forget. Anyway, I was reading the book um, back, I think it was like last month, actually. And one of the things they talked about in the book was when a business owner, you would think you'd want to go out and just try to always find new business. But if he spent, it was an extra like 20% of his time focusing on talking to his already existing you know, folks of you know his already existing client base. That not only was he able to improve relations there, but then they were able to improve the profits from those those businesses because the businesses were happier. So to your point, it, it does make sense maybe to start to measure. <laughs> how do you how do you even say this? Measure the unmeasurable, I guess. Which is you have to well, approach those things in non, I guess, a non, what biased. You're approach? describing
1: the you're you're describing the prato principle.
0: That that eighty percent of the production
1: is going to come out of twenty percent of the, the the workforce, and that happens in business. It happens pretty much all over the place. It's like a it's it's like a known phenomenon. And again, there's millions of libertarians, and there's about twenty one thousand libertarian party members. Now there's like six hundred thousand people who are registered, but I'm telling you, I've done text campaigns to these people, to, to these people. and not, if you're registered, doesn't mean that you're you're you know that you you know what libertarianism even is. So again. You're going to, knowing that you're going to get 20% or 80% of your productivity out of 20% of the people. That means where you go, where you put your effort is just as important as how much effort you put in. So you have to identify the low hanging fruit. The low hanging fruit is our base, which again exists largely outside of the party. We have to understand and recognize and be honest with ourselves about that. You know, we're not like, if we can't get large numbers of our own people in the party who share our principles what makes you think that we're going to do better with people who have principles that are like diametrically opposed to property
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point you know, I mean? yeah.
1: you know what I mean like it's 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 and it's it, it's common sense you know what I mean it's just we're so caught up in thinking like politicians that we forgot uh, we forgot we've forgotten to think about about it like activists. You know, like and and we need to get back to that spirit and that's the spirit that animated the Ron Paul revolution and made it so special.
0: Yeah. Or at the very least, I mean, hey, can we come to a compromise across the board, folks? And let's just like maybe try a little half and half. Or I'll say, hey, let's get some yeah. activists out there who are doing the activist role. And then like, hey, if you to be a candidate, be your candidate role. But like, let's all do it like the best version we can. And I, I'm all about like bringing people together. Like that's one of my main role in this. I, I try to, at least in this greater liberty movement, because I think at the end of the day, I, I sincerely hope that we all ha- are on this same mission. And that is to get liberty into action and into policy and to impact real people's lives. And I think we need to not only be able to objectively measure when we win, but when we lose and when we lose, right. acknowledge why. And we have to, we have to look back and learn from our mistakes, but also mistakes are proof we're trying, but we have to show that we're learning from those mistakes. Otherwise it's just, you're, you're hitting your head against the wall hoping it's not going to hurt next time. Right. And in order for that to happen, something
1: has to emerge that works. And then we have to agree that that works and then orient the strategy around that. And that requires some kind of consensus. And it also requires some kind of uh, results to speak of, you know. And, and and again, this gets into some in the weeds a little bit because some people like would take what I just said and say, well, Gary Johnson works. Four point three million votes. You know, uh, uh, three, three percent or yeah, three point four percent or whatever it was. And that works. And I would say, well, why is votes your metric? Again, I think we need people a lot more than we need, because last I heard we had gotten about seventy five hundred members out of that four point three million votes. And that was in 2016. Uh, and then I heard a speech from the executive director of the party in March of this year set, talking about how there's about fifteen hundred people left out of that original seventy five hundred which itself is a tiny number from 4.3 million. So again, what is your metric of success? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, but, um, I, I guess that, that allows me a segue to, to get back to your original thing of what have we done as the Mises Club?
0: Yeah. Let's finish this with a nice big bow on top. (laughs) Yeah. Some, some wins. Because the, the,
1: the, the, basically the conclusion is, is we, we got the juice and everyone needs to understand that. Um, (laughs) Um, but, um, so all right well first of all it's it's you have to understand what we do and what like what our strategy is and essentially we have a three prong strategy uh that we follow so that is intra party activism uh that is issue coalitions and local level candidates more specifically intra party activism is recruiting you know getting people in the party getting them attending their county level meetings um you know just getting them integrated um and then Issue coalitions is, is self-explanatory. It's what I was talking about earlier. It's going to, you know, if you live in a Democrat area, you know, push them on issues of overlap. If you if you live in a Republican majority area, push them on issues of overlap. Get some accomplishments. Be a catalyst, and then that creates space because again, get, to get kind of back into the abstract thing, is that essentially builds trust. We like there's so there's two things that we lack that we need, which is brand recognition, and then even more important than brand recognition is brand trust. Um, and you we're not going to have trust from the out. We're not going to gain trust from the outside. Like, and, and especially in this climate where everything is completely dichotomized and tribal, you know, people don't think like people are thinking about it. Well, I've got my team, my team can win the other side's bad. And that's that. So then the question, is, and, and, and I don't trust anybody that's not on my team. So the question is, is, well, how do you break that? And, and, and how do you build trust essentially? And I think that is by being a catalyst and becoming Um, You know, becoming accomplished. So that starts to build off of there. So anyway, to review, intraparty activism, uh, issue coalitions, local level candidates. So what have we done? Well, the first big victory we got is we were involved in the uh, 2019, 2019 effort to decriminalize shrooms in Denver. And that, that it has turned out to be a huge catalyst itself because yep. after that, you've seen, and we've been involved in several of these in one, one way or another, but um, then it be, so it was shrooms in Denver and then it became all natural psychedelics, not just shrooms in Oakland, California, in Santa Cruz, California, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Now you've got, and and now you've got two major, major, major victories in all natural psychedelics being decriminalized in DC, all drugs being decriminalized in Oregon. And on top of that, the first ever medical shroom program in, in Oregon.
0: You were like the first domino um, basically.
1: Right. Well, right. And, and the shroom, th- the, the the shroom in Denver thing was the, the catalyst with that. So we got in on a ground level. I'm friends now with the people. I built that trust. You know what I mean? Do you think it's, do you think it's, it's, liberal like it's, it's progressives. A lot of these people are, are strictly, for decriminalization because they think profits are evil and that these are, these are medicines and they should be freely given and all that stuff and I don't disagree but they should also be, you know, I, I can get into why, I, I, but uh, yeah, basically they're not our, They're not libertarians, <laughs> they, they oppose property, they oppose free markets, yet we can coalition on that issue and it works and it has worked. So that was the first big one. Um, we're getting involved in second amendment sanctuaries, you know, some of our people were involved in that in, in Texas. In Virginia, that's another big one. And I always love to tell people that like the two big things are psychedelics and guns. That's like, like, (laughs) you know, like, um, but, um, so then we have a pack, we have Mises pack. So we, we collect donations from our support base and then we use that to support local level candidates. Um, we filed the pack in May of 2019 and everybody that's doing this, we've never done anything like this before. You know what I mean? Like we're not politicos. We're not like we're, we're figuring it out as we go along. So like year one, we were only able to spend 2019. we were only able to spend like sixty five hundred dollars on candidates. None of those candidates won. Able to spend twenty thousand dollars this year. And we got two victories. And I, I, I learned an important lesson along with those two victories that because we had spent some money on county level candidates as well. And I think I got to bring it back even more. I think it's got to be all because the candidates that did win were city council. But those were big victories. And we were, I mean, one, one uh, so there's Trisha Butler. She, she won uh, Clarksville, I think it is, in, in Tennessee City Council. But she was in a four-person race. Oh, wow. And, and she she was on a call with the Libertarian National Committee recently and, and directly, in so many words, said that we, we helped get her over the top because we gave a max level donation. Nice. She yeah. was able to send out one final mailer and she won. And then uh, Kalish Morrow, she won uh, Hanford City Council in california but that's and now that's only two victories more libertarians generally speaking have won and we also picked up a state house seat and there's other other people that we gave money to that were close like there was one state house seat in wyoming that lost by like 30 votes that that, you know that we gave money to um but uh again i think we got to bring it back and keep it primarily local unless it's a really special race um but yeah so we've gotten those victories we've gotten the issue victories we've gotten trust with organizations that are outside of the libertarian world like decriminalized nature on the psychedelic scene uh i i can talk to you know through my my uh connections i can talk to whoever i need to and gun owners america and i plan on flexing that and getting more involved in the second amendment sanctuary stuff um and then not only that but like if you want to get into the boring intra-party stuff because we do active we do we well we do operate on that level too and this is where we get the pushback this is where it gets really, really nasty there's no one in the libertarian party who's like that damn Mises caucus is giving money to candidates. You know what I mean? Like nobody, nobody objects with that. They object with, you know, we're trying to run people for chair of the national party so that we can change up the messaging on the social media and get away from the social justice crap. And you know what I mean? Like, so, um, but again, we started in 2018 or 2017. Our first convention was 2018. We ran Josh Smith for chair and our, we went from zero to 22% of the vote for him. Um, and then in 2020, he ran again, we went from 22 to 40. And then, and, and that's like when it was a head to head between him and the winner, he got 33% of the vote. Um, when everybody was on the board, if you use that as a barometer, and I think that's a fair metric, um, we're one third of the friggin' delegation. And, and that is before we had the pack that's before we had a budget. That's before we had like, we have organizing teams in 40 States, you know, we have a, we have a, Again, this is boring and kind of wonkish, but it matters. Like like we we have an automation system that is essentially as our email list grows, like if you join our email list and you're from Pennsylvania, our Pennsylvania organizers will get an alert that like they will that information will be shared with them and they'll get an alert and then they will go out and canvas. So we're constantly building our, our ground troops and and getting them involved in the party, recruiting from that, that growth in that list. Not everybody does stuff, but. You know, as time goes on, there's going to be more and more and more. So, you know, we get them involved and we organize them. It's, it's basically what I said at the beginning. You use the big races as a, as a mouthpiece for our principles. You tell the truth, get people fired up about the ideas and about the principles. And then once they have that fire, you organize them around something viable, which, again, is the local stuff and the issues.
0: Michael Heiss, we could go on forever, my friend, but unfortunately, we do have to wrap it up here on the episode tonight. But thank you so much. And definitely as we go towards not only just 2022, uh, but 2024 for the elections, we're going to have to make sure we have you back on. Talk about some strategy um, but also some candidates and stuff as they go forward. But uh, as always, thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. And if your audience likes what they're hearing from me, go to TakeHumanAction.com. Sign up to our email list. Uh, and you will you will you should hear from somebody from the organization after you join the email list about whether you want to get involved with what we're doing. Perfect. And then if you are so kind, you know there's multiple ways to help. You can help with your energy, but if you and, and but if you don't got the time for that, you can help with your wallet and every bit helps. So you can you can go to takehumanaction.com and also become a recurring donor. You can give five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, you can give a one-time donation. doesn't matter, it
0: all helps. Perfect. And you know what? I'll, I'll make it even easier for him. All you have to do is swipe to your right, go to your little note section on your podcast catcher, click the link. So I'm going to have the link right there for you guys in the show notes. So you can go ahead, takehumanaction.org? Dot com. Dot com. Takehumanaction.com. Make sure we have that link in the show notes. Michael Heiss, thank you so much. L.P. Mises Caucus here on The Brian Nichols Show. Appreciate it. Thank you. A quick read from our new sponsor, and that is the Expat Money Show. Now, if you are a longtime listener or even a relatively new listener here on the Brian Nichols Show, then you remember our good friend Michael Thorup from the Expat Money Show. What an episode! To learn that just because you were born in one country doesn't mean that you have to pay your taxes there forever, to do your banking there, or to have your investments there, raise your family there, or even have your companies register there, learn there, get your kids educated there. Or even live your life there. How about that? You can go ahead and live your life wherever it is you see fit. Because the Expat Money Show, which is hosted by our friend Mikhail Thorup, originally started as a podcast podcast but has grown to a worldwide community of entrepreneurs who are living international location, independent lifestyles. Mikkel is focused on helping you live an international life by looking at problems through the lens of global solutions. In this day and age, there is no reason you should let borders get in the way of having the best the world has to offer. So, Brian Nichols Show audience, head over to the Expat Money Show today. Give Mikkel a subscribe, a fantastic show, and tell him that Brian Nichols sent you. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Michael Heiss of the Libertarian Party, Mises Caucus. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, make sure you go ahead and share today's episode. And by all means, please feel free to include me in those shares at Liberty Facebook, Twitter, Minds.com, and yes, Parlor.com. Find me again B. Nichols Liberty, and guys, yes, we have some amazing shows that uh, we are coming up here on the Brian Nichols Show, not just Michael, coming up here on Wednesday. We are joined by Camelia Peterson. She is the editor-in-chief of the Libertarian Republic. On Friday, we are joined by Stephen Kent. He is the host of A Galaxy Far, Far Away. Beltway Bantha is discussing Star Wars in politics, and we have a special conversation coming up here on Thursday. What's the best way to actually move things forward in a liberty policy? Is it to go through the market or is it to use that old vessel that is the libertarian party we have a great conversation coming up here on thanksgiving to go ahead and dig into that into some detail so with that being said guys you know the drill at b nichols liberty facebook twitter mind.com and parlor but yes email me brian at brian nichols if you had not had the chance yet go ahead and give us that five star rating and review over on apple podcasts and otherwise guys i i, I seriously cannot ask you guys enough to please, be smart, be safe, be healthy, but more importantly, have fun this Thanksgiving time. Enjoy that time you see with your family and friends, especially the older relatives. Please keep your distance. Be smart when interacting with your family, but know that they're there because they care. They they want to see you. Uh, I, I've had some some personal friends who who have you know told some very sad stories about loved ones that they were hoping to see next year, and next year didn't come for the the loved ones. So when you do get to see your loved ones, please make sure you take a, a point to just appreciate the time that you have with them. And, and guys, we really don't know how, you know, how this funny thing called life ends up panning out in the end. So please just make sure that you are appreciating the time that we do have here together. And, and 2020 is just a weird year in general. So just please make sure um, yeah, you're, you're taking those extra steps. So guys, with that being said, it's been an absolutely fantastic conversation as always here on The Brian Nichols Show. So uh, thank you sincerely to our good friend there, Michael Heist, for joining us here on The Brian Nichols Show. Make sure you guys, if you have not yet, hit that subscribe button so you're not missing a single episode as it comes down to the pike here at The Brian Nichols Show. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Michael Heiss. We'll see you Wednesday.
1: Thanks for listening to the Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.